countdown. Welcome to Learnings from the Middle, a podcast where a product owner and a software engineer, longtime friends, occasional coworkers, and occasional Halo opponents delve into their experiences and careers in the tech industry. All opinions are our own and not our employers or anyone else's. And I am Brian, the software engineering side of the podcast or the software engineering host for the podcast. John, do you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, and I'm John. I am the product side of the podcast and of Learnings of the Middle. I think we're going to dive right into this today. What is our topic this time around? Yeah, today we're talking about one-on-ones. So my first question for you is how often do you have one-on-ones and how long are they? Yeah, so one-on-ones for me um, and almost every role I've ever been in, either with a manager or with team members that I need to keep in contact with, have almost always been a half hour every week. Um, every now and again, they'll go longer. Every now and again, they'll get canceled just due to calendars um, and things get busy um, and they're not set in stone. But I would say there's definitely a conscious effort to meet that weekly time for a half hour longer or cancellations are the the exception to the rule, not the norm. Um, so yeah, I think that weekly cadence of 30 minutes is, has been pretty fundamental. How about you? Pretty much the same. I've seen a couple other formats or cadences like hourly every other week, but 30 minutes once a week is the one that I prefer the most. So you don't have too much lag time between having a topic you want to bring up and actually getting into it. I seem to be troublesome for some managers every now and again, like, you know, if they have like six or eight reports and all of a sudden you see they have like two hours blocked, half hour, half hour, half hour, half hour. (laughs) Um, So I know I can get a little bit much on the managerial side um, versus me where I might have one with my manager and a couple other key teammates, but it seems to be the right, the right cadence. Yeah. Just to have that contact. Uh, so my next question is, do you write agendas for your one-on-ones or how do you decide what you're going to talk about going into the meeting? Um, let's start intentionally. Um, we'll say no. Intentionally, we don't set agendas. Again, it's it's every one-on-one I've had has been more informal and intentionally informal. So formally scheduled time, um, but intentionally more of the, um, hey, what's going on? How are things going? What do you want to talk about? What do we need to address today? Less of a, here's the formalized list of things that we need to get through. Um, that being said, um, definitely it is a time to address um, issues. So if there's something that I want to give the heads up on and say, hey, I want to talk about this today, or um, maybe if the if the manager or the team member needs um, context to go take time to go like look at the stories or look at a project or get other context, or if it's something that I want to introduce in text and give them time to think through uh, before just springing it on them in a call, maybe then I'll give a little bit of heads up or try to set some kind of agenda. Um, but in general, no, they're intentionally agenda free. Gotcha. So I I almost never send an agenda. Usually it's in a shared doc of some kind. Mm-hmm. Do you have a list of things you want to get into going in or sometimes ahead and talk um, I'm a victim of keeping things in my head. And up to this point in my career, I've actually done quite a good job of it, but I am trying to get better at notes uh, and, and taking notes because they get me in trouble. Um, but in general, um, I, I would say my most pressing stuff is already going to be in the front of my, my mind anyways. It's already where I'm going to be spending most of my time on, uh, most likely. Um, but there are times where I'll start writing down things of, hey, I know I have a one-on-one this afternoon. What are the three or four things that I at least want to touch on if we have time? So. Okay. So if you so, call that an agenda, I would say, yes, there's an agenda in my mind of what probably we should talk about today. But there are definitely times where I show up to one-on-one. It's just like, I just got out of three back-to-back calls. I have not spent any time thinking about what we're going to talk about. Let's just spew and we'll see what happens. So again, that can be less effective sometimes, but it's a one-on-one to me, as much as it is to sync, it's also to um, 
catch your sanity um, a little bit um, both ways. So having to have one more thing that feels like a chore and that one more place that feels like a safe place is, again, I say that's why it's intentionally uh, unintentional. So I'm almost the opposite, or I think I am the opposite. I have, so for every one-on-one that I have, I have a running list of things that I want to talk about and I update it. So I've got a, like a date, a history section with the date of the meeting and what we talked about there, not always notes, but at least the topics. And then I've got a next section and just throughout the week or two weeks between the one-on-ones or whatever it turns out to be, I jot down topics that I think are important there. And I think the reason for that is I don't often want to talk about specific project-related problems. I typically want to talk about team strategy, team direction, and that's kind of what I use the calls for more than instant messenger or shooting an email or whatever async communication. Do you go into a one-on-one looking to come out of it with direction, or do you go into a one-on-one more as a sounding board? Like, I came across this, what do I do? Or I'm thinking about this in this situation. Do you concur or am I missing something? Like, how do you, how do you kind of approach that? What are you looking to get from your one-on-one that makes you want to have such a strict regiment of what you're going to talk about? It depends on the manager. So I've had managers where that's the only way to get a really solid direction is to bring it up in a conversation and then write down the answer and put in a JIRA card or whatever it is later. And then I've had other managers that are much more or have an easier time dialoguing about things on the fly. And there it's easier to say, this is my problem or my concern. Let's bounce around and see what happens rather than saying, I need you to decide on option A versus option B. And I want That's you to really interesting because I think you bring up a really good point though that maybe is one that I've been fortunate enough to have experienced and that's the availability of your manager. Because if it's that directional, if it's a black and white type thing, that's almost never something that's going to even make it to a one-on-one because it's already been addressed for me prior to the one-on-one. One-on-one is coaching and learning and, and, and mindset to where if something is directional, like, hey, what should we be doing here? Or what is that next step? Um, that would have been a, a, a completely different conversation, whether it be Slack, IM, or even additional five-minute conversation somewhere else. Um, so I think availability of manager it actually brings up a really unique, whole different train of thought that we could go into mm-hmm. Um, around what are you trying to get out of your one-on-one and what are your one-on-one structure like? Yeah, and I that's interesting that you pointed out because I find that a lot of mine do become tactical where it's not, let's discuss this general topic, let's plan for the team, help me understand or give me feedback. It's often, I need a decision on XYZ, here are the options, please pick one and then I'll run with it, but I need you to make a decision on this here and now. And that's probably also why when you said uh, that some of your one-on-ones get canceled or deferred, that I get anxious because <laughs> to me, those are pretty critical times to force that decision. Or That's have an really interesting because I've never felt that way, but it's so, I can understand it. I can completely relate to it. And actually, again, careful starting a new position. Um, but I think I'm going to be in a position where I have to be a little bit more tactical about it, not because I lack the direction, but because more of the direction is up to me. Um, and so the last thing my manager is probably expecting from me is for me looking for that tactical direction as often, um, and more, um, 
infrequently, but on the bigger topics. So for that reason, I may not be talking to my manager throughout the week as much as I have in the past. Um, I may just have that one 30 minutes each week to actually sink and say, Hey, I've been marching down this path, or this is the path that I'm planning on marching down. Um, what are your thoughts? And if I don't get that feedback, I'm not getting it for another week. Like that's, that's a very much a, probably a new situation that I'm in that I can understand where maybe some of your thoughts are coming from there. So then what, how do you trigger that conversation where you've got a project or a problem and you want a tangible decision that's very firm? How do you trigger that conversation? Is it always Slack and IM or do you do ad hoc calls? How do you get that contact that you need? Um, probably a little bit of everything. Um, if it really is a gut check, like, Hey, here's the situation. I'm thinking this, are you, are you aligned or not? That usually can be a quick, again, take, pick your poison. I am Slack, maybe even an email. If it takes a little bit of context. Um, I've also, again, this is where I've probably been spoiled by managers. My managers usually have a pretty good idea of what's going on in the world. I'm in on the topics that matter. Um, if that makes sense. So on the small stuff that I'm just trusted to handle, I'm probably not bringing that to a one-on-one anyways, and I'm probably not really looking for directions unless it's completely off the rails. If it's a big enough initiative, they're probably already aware of it and are somewhat tracking it as well and staying on top of it because it's a big initiative that you know they're just generally keeping an eye on or closer to. So on those bigger initiatives, they usually have at least the start of the context to where I really can just do that gut check with an IM or with an email or something of that nature. Um, and on the smaller stuff, then it, it, really, it really has to be off the rails for me to, to do an immediate, I need to get you on the phone and talk about it. Okay. So I, I don't want to drag us too far away from the No, let's keep going. This is great. To, but So I have another question for you about managers. As an engineer, and I want to say this in a friendly fashion because I have liked all of the managers that I've had, but depending on their background, they may or may not be able to step into my job and do it as I would. So I've had some managers that were former software engineers, I've had managers who were former um, project managers. I've had managers who were uh, TPMs or, you know, name your role, uh, a couple straight people managers. But I haven't always had managers who could step into my job and do it. Have all of your managers been really good question. people who came up as product managers? Um, for the roles, when I've been in product, Yes. I guess I would just say in general, yes. The people who I have generally managed me have done my job and are capable of doing my job. Now, I am a big proponent that that's not required. I do think management is a skill in and of itself. Um, I have seen amazing um, engineering managers who wouldn't be able to sit down and write code that's been uh, with the last five years or 10 years of, of what's the new meta and what's the new coding standards because the, they, they coded 10 years ago. Um, I've seen... Yeah, I've seen great managers be able to adapt to the team they're managing without necessarily having to have A-B skills. I know that's a whole different um, topic that people would have disagreements on, but I do think there's enough to where as long as you can get to the box level, as I always refer to, or the architect level understanding of what your team's doing, you should be able to manage that team and be an effective manager of that team. Now, would someone who has your same skills and also has a technical aptitude maybe be better or have a leg up in some ways? Possibly. Um, it, but like if all everything else was equal, but I do think you can be an effective manager without having those uh, the skills of your team um, that your team is doing. But for me personally, you bring up a good point that majority of my managers, if not all of them, have at least touched my job or done my job at some point in time in their career. Got it. 
So I, I agree. I don't think a manager has to have been a software engineer to manage software engineers. And that's a switch in opinion for me the further I get out of college. But one of the top managers that I ever had may have been a software engineer at one point, but had been at the manager director plus level for 15 or 20 years. And he doesn't know no what R is or, <laughs> you no, know, or what, no the, what the least code yeah. language is or yeah, yeah. But yep. his ability to identify and dig out problems just based on context and the confidence of the engineer he was talking to and the history with them was unbelievable to me. I Maybe I've mentioned this before on the podcast, but I would sit in calls with him where everything sounded great to me as an engineer, and he would IM me off to the side and say, ask more about 0.7 of this 23-point doc. And say, why are we doing this? That's is silly. Point seven is fine. And then you dig at it and you find there's a problem there that they were there's an assumption or trying to pass made. over. There was a yeah. gap. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, we're drawing an interesting line because that's what I want for my one-on-ones. Like if I go into my one-on-one, I'm not looking for technical aptitude. In a product role, I'm not looking necessarily, not necessarily, it's nice if we can have the conversation, but I'm not necessarily looking for how should I run my A B test or how should I um uh, run my scrum team or, you know, why should I write my Jira card this way? Why should I use a, um, you know, a Fibonacci scale instead of ours? Like those aren't the tactical conversations I'm looking to have. To me, those are more coaching. Now it's awesome if I can still have those coaching conversations with my manager, but the managerial conversations are more around development, concepts, roadmap, where are we going? Why are we going there? Um, what do I need to be doing better on? What are the soft skills? Like, um, I really, my, my managerial one-on-ones, I, I really want more focused on growth and maturity um, and development, not on tactical, technical coaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, for you, that looks like code and engineering. For me, that looks like um, grooming, running ceremonies, setting up the product roadmap, doing cl- interviews. Like there, there's, there's still a tactical pieces of mine, but that's not generally speaking where I want to spend most of the time on my managerial one-on-one. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it is hit and miss for me. There are, I've had some managers where a lot of it is very specific or the conversations center around the technology and the product that we're building and the technical details of implementing it. And then I've had other one-on-ones that are able to stay a little bit more high level, but I try to think back over the managers that I've had. I think the managers that I've had who have less technical background wind up needing more technical conversation in the one-on-ones to have the to explain to the scenario the to get to that box list. level you got to explain right. the box level so they actually understand yep. what argument they're going with which makes sense right so that's ground we cover in the one-on-one on a call rather than it being able to be just a quick i am with somebody who already has all the context it needs to be a conversation not yep. necessarily wrong or bad but it just changes the way that you but you have to set them up for the next situation. conversation and the next piece that you're expecting from them and exactly. they got to have the, the the knowledge and the the base to do it which makes sense yep. yeah and so for me like i said if i am i can understand that if i am coming into a one-on-one with i have a specific issue that i need to know how to address um again it will be kind of the same idea of having to lay out all the background, all the context, the project roadmap, the, comp- the the stakeholders, the timelines, why we've compromised this, why we've done that. Like it does become that regurgitation of um, project management side and product management and uh, and roadmap prioritization um, scope, like all those buzzwords out there that we can throw out there. It becomes a, here's everything you need to know to know why we did what we did and now we're stuck. What do we want me to do? <laughs> you know, um, 
so th- some of the times it does become that. And and that's what your manager is there for. Like your manager is there for, should be there for those tactical conversations when they are directly project related. And this project or this initiative is needing help. What should we do? Like that conversation is definitely there. But again, for me, it's very rarely you should have put a colon instead of a semicolon or you should have done a Kanban instead of sprints. Like that's very, that's might be a bigger one to talk about, but it's very really that tactical. It's I'm having to work with so-and-so this is their, this is where they're at. This is where I'm at. How do I try to bridge the gap and get there? Like that's a more ethereal conversation. That's a more relational conversation. That's a more developmental conversation than the tactical um, what does this code need or what does this project mm-hmm. need? So do you talk more about uh, people or projects? I talk more about situations. I probably talk more about situations ah, okay. than about okay. projects. Um, okay, interesting. And again, situations come up from projects, but I actually usually try to strip the project. This is all generals. Like there's so many rules that get broken because you cover so very much broad brush strokes. These are very yeah. broad brush strokes because I do cover the details, but in general, I try to strip the project specific details from the scenario because I want to know how to handle the situation and not just this situation, but the 15 or 20 situations that all dance around this that could be solved if I actually understand what I should be doing now versus what should I do here? Press A. Okay. What should I do here? Now press B. Well, like that doesn't do me any good, you know, yep. but understanding why we're pressing A or why we're pressing B, that's the kind of conversation I want to have. Um, yeah. At least those and maybe those are rare that I'm making them out, but that's when I walk away from a one-on-one going, that was a good one. Mm-hmm. So then I want to ask this question a little bit delicately too, but have you gotten that level of coaching from every manager that you've had? Not from every single one. Okay. Um, I have not stayed long on the teams where I have not gotten that. Got it. And, and that's maybe a luxury. Um, and I mean, we all hear the news of layoffs and where the industry is at right now in tech and whatnot. So there's definitely some, some nervousness around things we're going, but to this point, I've had the luxury of if I have not been in a situation where I have had a, a manager that I have felt like I could follow, I've had the opportunity to find a different role. Um, and that's maybe a spoiled take. I'll, I'll be honest that that could be a very uh, honestly spoiled take that I've had that luxury because I think just because you have a bad manager doesn't mean um, you, you're ineffective at your job or you can't enjoy your job. Um, I actually had a manager coach me on this before because I was staying in contact with one of my previous managers more in a mentor role and I was struggling with a manager. Um, and I, I still ended up getting a different situation. It just kind of worked out that way to where I wasn't with that manager long. But when I was talking to my mentor, uh, he's like, you're getting to the point in your career where you hold your own performance in your own um your own outcomes in your own hands. Now you can't control everything, but if you, if, if you can't figure out how to work around or with or through a bad manager in a tactful way, um, you're going to struggle because you're not always going to have good managers. And that's why I say I've been spoiled to where most of the time when I've had uh, what we would unfortunately categorize as not a good manager, I probably gotten out of those within six months to nine months. Um, but in general, I've been very fortunate with my managers and that's been a very intentional a move on my part that I might not always have at my fingertips. Long rant. Well, and so I'll, I'll respond briefly. I, I think I've gotten very lucky as well in that I've never had a manager I didn't think I could work with and I didn't find value of. It, was, it may have been different value from different managers. So I've always been able to say, 
I understand your strengths, I understand your weaknesses, and this is how I can best interact with you to get what I need and for you to get what you need. And then I find that if I'm missing something like that broader career coaching or really in-depth technical coaching, that's when I go to a mentor or I find somebody else who can provide that, but I'm still able to get the level of direction and some, some level of kind of broader coaching from a manager when you're intentional about it. But it definitely changes this topic. It definitely changes what are you expecting to get out of your one-on-one -on -one if you understand which of those situations you have. I've almost always, I, I, I love having my manager as a career mentor. Um, maybe not to the same degree, not all are created equal. I've kept in contact with someone. I've not kept in contact with others. But always being able to trust that my my manager hasn't been there, done that, and has a perception uh, or an idea of what can or should be done in a situation, I find almost invaluable. Uh, like, it's so valuable. Um, and um, unreplaceable, I guess, is almost what I'd say. But again, I know you can't always have that. So if you're not in that place where you think your manager um, – is going to necessarily be that career coach or even positional coach. Um, I can understand why you do get more tactical. It really is more of a project check in. It really is more of a uh, dot the I's, cross the T's. Am I marching to the drum that you want me to be marching to right now? And how you march to that drum in your best capable self is is coming from elsewhere. It's coming from other direction and other coaching. Yeah, and I the other dynamic there is sometimes in order to build the rapport as an engineer you have to start very tactical because thinking about mentality managers yeah a little bit and not necessarily in a bad way but managers have of engineering teams have a lot of pressure on them they are asked to deliver often on things that they don't understand top to bottom and so having someone who is happy to go to that level of technical detail dialogue about it answer questions talk about trade-offs is a good way to build rapport for getting to some of that higher level career conversation. So I, I don't necessarily see it as a bad thing to have super tactical one-on-ones when they're driving towards that, trust me when I say something and let's not keep digging to this level of detail every time we yeah, make a decision. Yeah, I think it's really into, um, I don't want to make this an experienced seniority thing, but there is a real way in which depend. You can be in different places in your career. And it doesn't mean once you've gotten out of one, you don't ever return to it. But um, there are times when you're, maybe it's like you're new somewhere. Those are going to be much more tactical. You're feeling out what is expected of me. What should I be doing? Am I doing what I'm expected? Like that's very tactical. You may be very capable, but you're still double checking and clarifying and getting a feel for the culture. Um, you may be new. You may be new to a technology or new to even a skill. And which, again, that's expected to be a much more um, tactical conversation because it's more coaching than it is, you know. Um, right now, I think what's where I'm at is there is a level of which I'm just expected to be able to handle the day-to-day. -day. Um, and, and the more that I can prove I can handle the day-to-day -day and the more that the conversations um, are more growth-minded, management-minded, directional-minded um, the better that is for my management because they don't, they don't have to worry about the day-to-day. -day. They know the day-to-day. -day. What we determined, discussed about six months ago of what we were going to go do, that's happening. And they just trust that that's happening. So I'm talking about what are we doing in the next three months or the next six months or what are we coaching because that didn't go well. What do you want to see change in the department, in my team? Mm -hmm. um, so they are more ethereal because once we have that direction set, I can go implement without needing the day-to-day. -day. But that's not always going to be that way. Um, as again, I'm in a product owner right now of a scrum team. So I own 
um, a scrum team or two that respond that, that um, I manage their backlog and, and we work together on, on getting initiatives done. If and when I finally make the jump into management and I'm managing product owners, I'm not going to know what the heck I'm doing. And whoever's managing me to teach me how to manage product owners are going to get very tactical, very detailed, very, oh my gosh, what do I do with this situation type questions? Um, so I think where you're at, um, both career-wise and in a company, definitely changes what you're expected to those as well. Yeah, that's a word I define, or I use the word clout for that, where mm -hmm. when you start fresh with a new manager, you have zero clout. And they're going to ask somebody else to double check, double check everything you do typically. But over time, you build that clout. And then you build more influence. You build more context. You understand the problems. You understand the problem space better. And you're able to dive in and make a difference with less effort and with less time spent talking about what you're going to do next. But guys, I, I think this is where, like, where you and I, again, as now in the middle of our careers, lessons from the middle, but having been relatively successful in where we're at in our careers. Like we, we've gotten to some of our roles faster than uh, would be normal. Take advantage of that time because when you come into a team and your clout is zero and you bust your butt and you come in and you kill it, that's where you make ground. That's where you, you, you get that clout and you get it more quickly. So again, coming into this team to where I fully expected this new company that I know how to work with a scrum team. Now, every scrum team is different. It has its own unique challenges, and I don't want to minimize the effort that that takes to run a scrum team. Uh, but there is a sense in which I expect myself to be able to do that. I expect myself to be able to handle and learn and adapt and do that very quickly. Well, I come into a new company, and they're not expecting me to be able to do that for three to six months, and I can do that in a month. That builds clout. That builds work mentality. That builds trust. Um, so I think when you're in those situations where your clout is zero, and you ask the right questions and you ask any needed question to get to where you can be that contributor quicker um, is definitely a place in your career where it will be noted and it will be seen. That's a short circuit that topic, but that's number five on our podcast topic list. Oh no. Do you have a pattern <laughs> when you join a new team? Oh man, Joining we got another podcast. Away, so that'll be a oh. teaser for that one. Um, so one-on-ones next question on that. Do you, ever share personal stuff in your one-on-ones do you have any personal conversations or about life or kids or family or anything like that it really depends on the manager um usually definitely not to start with definitely not if it's a new situation i i do keep it very professional um, but i have had managers who were friends first um i've had managers that were co-workers that i was a friend with um, and then she became my manager. And so those conversations were very different um, mm -hmm. than what they would have been with a normal manager. So there's there's exceptions to that. Um, it also, once you level, develop a level of trust with a manager and um, not just trust, I I think it just has to be like, it's the same way, but you're not gonna be friends with everybody who's every one of your coworkers, but some of your coworkers become your friends and you have personal conversations with them. I think it's the same way with managers. Not every manager is gonna be someone that you click with on a personal level. You might be even able to click mm -hmm. with them on a professional level. You may be extremely effective professional and never get personal. But if you do click with them, inevitably you find out you have the same hobbies or the same interests or the same values. I think naturally personal stuff does come out. So I've had managers that I've been able to be very frank even with where the personal and the professional cross of I've been able to tell my manager of I am stressed out the wazoo right now. And honestly, my 70% is 
is good enough for work right now. And that's all you're getting from me. And I'm able to say that to a manager. I'm like, I feel guilty right now because I know you're only getting 70% of me, but I know my 70% is all you need right now. And I have other stuff going on. That's all you're getting. I would not recommend you say that to 90% of your managers, <laughs> but I was able to, cause this manager knew me, knew my situation, knew what I had going on in my personal life and knew I was still getting done what needed to get done at work that I could do that. So that's, that's where I would, I, I would blend that line of like, that's not always something you're going to share with your manager and you're not always going to be able to do, but I do think there are managers that you can, but man, I don't think there's any hard or fast rules for that. And if in doubt, err on the caution of no, yeah, <laughs> don't I, share. I'm, maybe a little bit more conservative or reserved on that front. I, every once in a while, the general details of married two-year-old, those level of, of uh, trust or whatever relationship will come up. But other than that, I try to keep it as professional as possible and talk about almost yep. nothing personal. I think that's safer. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that because even, even in the situation that I described, not to cut you off, like where I was able to have that very frank and honest conversation, I probably put my manager in a bad spot because she's still going to have to give me a review. And then she's reviewing Miss anybody else. I probably put her in a hard spot now where even if she thinks I was killing it, she didn't need to know that I wasn't giving it my best and that's going to change. So there's when, in that's why I say when in doubt, I, I would definitely go your way, but I cut you off. I think that was the end of the thought that I, I try really hard not to, the other, the other observation is that it puts your manager in a little bit of a weird spot because mm -hmm. then do you take up time to talk about personal? What's the expectation for socializing? And it, it does make it a little bit harder to direct the time and kind of direct the more feedback or critiquing aspects of the relationship that you have to have. If the personal stuff has to come out. Like how's the weather today? You shouldn't talk about personal stuff. <laughs> I'm just going to put it that way. Yeah. Like if it's like pulling teeth of like, wait a minute, we're sharing personal stuff. What is this supposed to be like? You shouldn't be sharing personal stuff. Yep. <laughs> but I think again, every time honest truth, uh, and here's insight on this. As much as I would love the relational, as much as I like being open and wearing my heart on my sleeve, as I I think as I grow up, so to say, I mean, mature is probably a better way of saying that. Um, I realize I should do that less. Um, and, and that's kind of, I don't know if it's sad. I don't know if it's bad. Um, but I think it is a realization of, again, like we just talked about, I did that with my manager. It was totally acceptable for her that I did it with her and that we had that conversation. But now I'd look back and I go, mm, that might not have been, it didn't need to be shared. And I have other outlets for that and other places I can go for that. Uh, it changes the dynamic with my manager a little bit, but it's work. Um, it's, it's not the personal life. Um, and every new company and every new job I go into, I think, uh, you know, maybe, maybe I can be a little bit more guarded. Maybe I can, and, and not guarded. I think that's the wrong word. Let me try to backtrack that. I can be more conservative. I think is the word you used, um, more intentional about what details are shared and what details aren't. Because I think that shows a bit of wisdom and self-control and not just a blathering, uh, you know, young guy who just says everything that comes into his mind. So I'm usually very endearing, but it also is shows a <laughs> level of of not lack of self-control to some degree and lack of at least if not self-control, lack of discernment and lack of what needs to be shared and what doesn't need to be shared. I wonder about maybe cultural awareness, too. Because that might be a big one. I've worked at um, a company, the company that we worked at together, where 
I definitely shared more personal stuff in one-on-ones and with a manager at that job than at any other position I've ever had. But uh, there was a camaraderie aspect to it where I knew a fair amount about his life and what he had going on, ups and downs. He knew a fair fair amount about my life. I knew a lot about my coworkers and their situations and what was going on for them day to day outside of work and in their their personal lives. And I think that's good. I think it's good. (laughs) It certainly can be. It can also become unhealthy. And the, the boss that I had was terrific at walking that line and expressing concern and interest without making it distracting or prying and without contrasting or really setting job and personal against each other. But it is, in retrospect, it's really easy to see how that could have run off the rails if my manager at the time hadn't been as dynamic and self-aware as he was. So it's it, it's a double-edged sword. It creates a really supportive culture where you can get a lot of uh, empathy and help from people when you need it, but it also creates a situation that can kind of run into a bad spot if you're not careful. I just feel like... I mean, two things. I feel like you're almost, you almost have to talk out of both sides of your mouth. Cause I think it can be healthy either way. I think it can be positive either way, but I think if in doubt, you definitely should err on the side of caution. Uh, it doesn't mean stuck up. It doesn't mean cold shoulder, but it just means, you know, you just don't give more information than you need to. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you don't volunteer personal information. Um but I also feel like it also is a word that we should talk about more is again, discernment of just when and where, and that's not clean. That's not, that's not something that we can address in, you know, at 10 podcasts, let alone one. Um, and it does sound like talking on both sides of your mouth because what discernment is, is there's a time and a place for everything and trying to know when the right time and the right place is, because there's also a wrong time and place. So I, I really like being able to have relationships at work. I really like having friends at work. And even knowing I've gone through enough job changes now to know that there's people that I would have considered really close friends that unfortunately, when you change jobs, you just grow apart because you're not working with each other every day. Like that's, that's a given. But to me, that doesn't mean you don't build those relationships while you're there. And for me, part of those relationships is the personal. It is what's going on in life. Like, Hey, how was xyz last night how was your kids game how are you doing like oh your mom's sick like sorry like that kind of stuff matters um but it does detract from work and what we're trying to do at work it does detract from ah, detract may not be the right word even this is hard this is hard brian it's like it's very yeah, i think it's a really tough conversation because uh, again we're, just, we're kind of talking about one-on-ones with managers i think managers add a dynamic there too over coworkers, and maybe that's a line um but yeah just trying to talk through it it's just like I don't want to let go of the personal and I don't want to make the personal out to be an, a negative impact. Cause I think you can build a good team uh, atmosphere based on personal information as well. Not based on, but alongside of the personal uh, relationships. So that's really hard. I don't think I've ever thought about this this much. And I it, just do me. It also, <laughs> <laughs> and that's the more natural way to approach it yeah. when you try to, articulate what's good and what's bad about something this complex, it inevitably gets very complicated. Um, so the the thing that came into my head is, I think it should be very safe to share personal when people are willing and want to, but then it's a balance of not expecting or pushing for that when the other person is not comfortable. And I think that's part of why it's so hard to say when it's a good idea and when it's a bad idea, because it depends on the two individuals that are in that circumstance. So conversations that I would not have with with a mutual coworker between the two of us 
could be totally fine and expected between you and that same coworker. And I, I think back to uh, like a happy hour after work when we were talking about company culture a little bit with coworkers. You weren't there, but with uh, two people. And they were describing a situation where they had been asked by managers to share things that were deeply personal and it made them very uncomfortable. And my comment was, I know very little about either of your personal lives. And they said, nope. <laughs> and they just weren't interested in, in sharing at that level. And so I think that's a fine line to walk where it should be very safe to share. And it should also be very safe to opt not to share and still be able to have that positive professional relationship with someone. I think you're right. But again, even then it becomes the, the person, people make things hard. Let's just put it that way. People are hard because you're in a scrum team of three engineers, a QA, a product owner, and a scrum master. Four of you go out to happy hour afterwards, talk about stuff, do things together, share your personal lives, go fishing on the weekends, dot, 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 dot. The one that doesn't, how do you still have them be very inclusive on your ceremonies, on your conversations? How do you not make them feel outside? Because they, they did choose to be more personal. They did choose to play it closer to the best because that's what they're comfortable with. You still need to professionally keep them involved in everything else that you're doing like you would anybody else, despite the fact that you might have have a different sort of relationship with the rest of the team. Mm -hmm. If you can do that effectively, that builds a lot of trust both ways. That builds a lot of trust with that person that is more, um, uh, more solitary, likes to, likes to play things up more toward, uh, closer to the best. And it builds um, a, a better um, a rapport with the ones that are the other way too. It just builds trust. I guess it's about building trust. Having been the person on the outside of that, that four or five person group or what have you, <laughs> that were all much better friends than I was with any of them. Um, the thing that somebody did that made it work for me personally was consistent invitations where he knew I was going to decline buying lunch at a restaurant nine out of 10 times. And I still got 10 invitations, maybe through an IM, not every day or mm -hmm. through a quick, hey, we're going out to no worries if you brought your own lunch, but just figured I'd let you know. And I think in regular friendships that aren't work-founded or work-based, that could get really uncomfortable in a hurry if there's one friend who declines all the time. But with a connection that's mostly work, then having those consistent invitations and somebody who just opts not to come is still, or at least in that situation, it was tenable. Probably, again, depends on the people who were involved. Yep. Yep. Oh, I just It's a fun one. Man, we, I could go on and on on this one because... I think every time you make a statement, you almost want to end up clarifying it because it's just not that cut and dry. Um, but I think, I think you mentioned it. It's, it, you know, the, maybe the best one is just to kind of follow your own personality to some degree. We're all created a little bit differently um, and have our own uh, different levels of socialism, uh, social, uh, socialization, socialization, social, not talking about socialism, you know, on, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we're not, we're not talking about that here. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, different, different social, um, aptitudes or desire for that social interaction. Um, and so I think you can match it, but if you are just going to kind of match who you are, you also need to be aware of how that affects others and also be aware of its own downfalls. Cause my tendency, unlike yours is always going to be to overshare is always going to go to one step too far. Um, that will make things harder for others. And that's not fair. That's not what I want to do. So I have to consciously go into situations, you know, just a little bit more cautious, slow down a little bit. Think about that before I say it to where you need to go. Like, 
yeah, maybe I can go out to lunch this week. Maybe it would be good to do this every now and again, not every time, but you know, it's just know, know who you are, but then also know what weaknesses come with that or what pitfalls may come with that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So the last question I've got for you on -on one-on-ones is how often do you stop? uh, And this question is, has to change a little bit because of the conversation that we've had, but how often do you stop any kind of tactical day-to-day current work-oriented stuff and talk about career direction, career progression, whether or not you're on track, gather feedback, those kinds of tell me about how I'm doing kinds of chats with your boss or your manager? Um, I can go first if it helps. No, I'm I, I, more than willing to. I always go first. I always blabber. Um, but I would say my management very quickly almost always knows what my career ambitions are, at least what I want my next step to be. Um, I can't imagine a time when my management hasn't known what I'm trying to grow to, even if it's just general growth, even if it's just, I want to be better at this. I want critiqued. I want coached. I want to be better at this. When I came in as a product owner, I had no thoughts of, I want to be not a product owner in three years or in two years. This is the first position was like this. Everything else is always grow management. Go, 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 go. I got to be a product owner. I was like, I can spend five to 10 years perfecting how to be a good stinking product owner. Um, so even at that level of what my manager knew I was looking for, it was just growth. But other times, like as far as career ambitions, like coming in right now, um, I made a lateral move um, that technically brought me in as what they would label at my current company as an associate PO. I'm trying not to be goaded by that because my experience, I think, says I'm a, I'm a, a product owner, if not a senior product owner. Um, and my resume, I think, points to that. But the way this company works is, you know, it was a great company, great culture fit. I'm excited about it. I had to swallow the title. My management very much knows I am ready to ditch the associate PO title and that I want to be a product owner at least, um, you know, sooner rather than later. So those career conversations happen pretty quickly for me um, because, again, it goes back to what I expect my management. I, I like having that mentorship role or at least that been there, done that kind of mentality from a manager that I can get that growth and experience from. As far as am I doing what I'm expected, I expect that feedback every day. Whether it's growth or not, I'd better know before a review if I'm off the beaten path or if I'm off the rails. So career topic is one thing, but just general check-in of how am I doing, I expect that every single every single one. I, I on almost every single one of my one-on-ones, anything I could be doing, anything I'm not doing, almost every single one. So I'm, I'm wondering if my premise for this question is a little bit different for your world. Are there terminal product owner roles as in so on the engineering side let's say you're an l5 at amazon let's let's say you're an l4 you are expected to make a jump to the next level in two and a half three years and get promoted or Mm -hmm. you would probably not be a good fit for an l4 role at amazon um but if once you reach l5 l6 l7 those are considered terminal roles and you can sit at any of them for the duration of your career and nobody would question that because you're an effective software engineer. Does pro- being a product owner have an equivalent where you've, you've reached it? Like you're good here. No one's going to bat an eye if you um, stay here for 30 years. I think product owner is a new enough role in the product kind of functionality. So, you know, even going away from what 10 years ago, 15 years ago would have been business analyst, project manager, you know, waterfallish styles. I think the product space is still relatively and man i i guess 
it's it's getting older, so I can't say this for much longer, but I still think it's relatively new enough that places are doing it differently. There's still enough variation in how different companies handle product. There's not a defined kind of roadmap for product. Well, one place I was at, it was, you know, product owner um, to product manager um, to then product man, uh, product manager as a program manager. No, product. It was product owner. And that's hard, too, because they changed the terminology between product and, and program. But it was a product owner to, I think it was product manager, but that could have very easily been called program manager, um, which is different. So there, I guess what I'm getting at is they're all sort of different. The place I'm at now is associate PO to PO to senior PO um, to managing to managing of like actual other POs. So fun terminology, fam terminology, but in general, they're different. And what's also different is what team are you managing? Like the the complexity of the teams you're managing um also so a product owner of xyz team may be more junior than a product owner that is the product owner of the main product that this company produces like you're on the main thing like that's as a product owner that's what you want you want you want the you want the fake flashy what are we building next and why are we building it and you know on the main core product that your business is selling um so i guess it's across the board i guess it's an easy way to say of um there are very different versions, uh, different companies of what that roadmap looks like. But in general, I think you're trying to get more to a program level control, not just product level control. Um, and you probably want to be closer to the main core product of the business. And eventually, if you desire people management, people management. Okay. So I think that does change the tone a little bit because on the engineering side, and not everywhere, but most places that I've worked have that concept of a, you've reached a terminal role, you are not pushed to advance unless you want to. So then your boss bringing up what's the next step for you is a little bit sensitive because the engineer might respond, I'm happy here. I do not want to advance. I don't want more responsibility. I want to continue writing code at this level and just stay at this proficiency for my career. And the answer is, sounds good. We need you. <laughs> we'll continue paying yep. you. So there, there isn't quite that level of default, let's talk about it. The advice mm -hmm. I've gotten is make sure that you block every six weeks to two months, or more often, once a month to two mm -hmm. months, to talk about career direction if you're interested in advancing, and then figure out how close you are to getting promoted or what projects you should do to get promoted, if that's something that you want to do. But there isn't quite that default, let's talk about promotion all the time in my next hop, because plenty of engineers are comfortable and want to stay where they're at. Yeah. And and maybe not everybody in products the same way. I mean, there's plenty of people that find something they like and are just content to stay there. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's there's actually I have a lot of respect for, for people who are, have that um, mentality. Um, I'm not there yet. I could definitely see myself getting there to a point where that's where I'm at, but I'm, I don't I don't feel like there's yet, there yet. To me, growth means to some degree, not just growth in my current position, but it means growing to bigger positions. Bigger is a poor word. I need to get better vocabulary. Um, just another senior position um, to have a little bit more responsibility, to have a little bit more scope of what's under my domain. Um, that's that's still very much uh, appealing to me. But there are product owners that I, I think in the same way are like, no, I'm good here. But product owners also like to build things, you know, and if you're building things, it's kind of hard to not want to build yourself too. Mm -hmm. and build your own tool belt. But even there, again, I feel the need to caveat because 
you can always be a better product owner. You can always add more tools to your tool belt. So even if someone is just like, no, I'm good here. Those, those product owners are still developing skills that, that they can grow them and make them better at where they're at. So I wouldn't want to pigeonhole. I wouldn't want to pigeonhole anybody. Uh, but I do know on the engineering side, their tests seem to be a very, the, the lines are cleaner of when you go from an intern to an associate, to a engineer, to a senior engineer, to an architect. It, sometimes architect's not considered senior, but you know, there, there seems to be those cleaner breaks. And that's what I'm just saying. I don't think it's as directly translatable in product yet, just because Product owner is pretty universal, but then are you a program manager? Are you a product uh, man manager? You know, are you a senior PO? Or are you a director PO? Does director mean a management or is a director a senior, a chief product officer? Like, I just don't feel like the titles are as fixed um, in the product space. Uh, but the concept of you run a scrum team, you run multiple scrum teams, you run a program, uh, you're setting the direction not of individual projects but of now you're, you're actually like setting like instead of running the um the go to fix this program you're running the our product project or product you're running the how do we holistically change this whole vertical of our company program versus i manage product owners versus i manage product managers versus like there's just so many different ways you can cut that up that I don't think there's a standard to it yet. I don't know if that makes sense. I I think that does. And it seems like there's more influence inside of each role that you can gain where you're right on the engineering side and not all the time, obviously titles aren't perfect, but there's a little bit more of a stair step where you can say a senior engineer typically does these types of things. A standard engineer does these types of things. I will. I think I there's some of those right lines. Now. I think there's some of those lines, not clearly, but I would go back to what you said about every six to eight weeks. Like I, I would just say somewhat, you have to be your own advocate. I don't be annoying. Don't overstay your welcome. Don't harp on your manager. If he said it's going to take you six months, don't bug him after two. Um, <laughs> you know, like, I think you need to prove yourself um, and, and you need to make sure that you actually are meeting the criteria, but you do have to be your own advocate. Um, I'm very firm. Like my current company is going to hear it from me that, guys like i'm I, I think i'm meeting what you've laid out for me to be considered a product owner and if it really is just a title thing i i, I would appreciate the title <laughs> like yeah you know they're gonna hear that from me i'm gonna advocate from that but if they lay out five bullet points in front of me i've only met four of them i ain't bringing it up i might ask about how what do i need to do to meet that fifth bullet point but i'm not going to be demanding anything from them. Mm -hmm. and you you couldn't have said that better be your own advocate and i think that's something that i learned really way later in my career than I should have, but that typically to get promoted, it's on you to generate the evidence and start the conversation and make it happen if it's something that you want. Typically, and the job that I held for the longest in my career wasn't this way, where your manager, my manager at the time, was more likely to approach you about a promotion than you were to bring it up with him. But um, most places, it's on you to decide how fast you think you can do it, start the conversation, gather the data, and all that. Yep. Um, as a quick aside, I'll add it to the podcast list, but sometime I want you to break down all of the different types of titles for producty people. Oh, no. understand the difference Oh, man. I don't know. Maybe I'll give you homework first. Golly. Yeah. Like I said, even with my experience that I've had so far, my my, my five or six years inside products specifically even, it's it's hard. And every time I think I get it, like someone would come in and say, oh, no, that's a product manager. No, that's a program manager. No, that's this. And it's just like, well, they're probably right to some degree. But 
I think most companies internally are very clear on what the progression is. Um, at least they should be. I think it should be clear within your company. Like I know what my next steps are at my current company. I knew what my next steps were at my previous companies. But as far as from company to company um, and just generalizations, I think there's just enough fluctuation between titles and roles um, mm-hmm. that can be a little bit difficult. But in general, you're supporting a product. You're supporting a product owner. You are a product owner, or you're a program level mind or you're managing i, I guess yeah. that's the that second breakdown but that's a different topic but no one-on-one i, I just think you had to go back and be an advocate um and and you had to bring it up on your own um as a good manager i would hope i if once i kind of am able to more formally manage a team i would really want to be coaching people up um again if they're content they're content but i would hope to be able to coach up that um talent and put those opportunities in front of mine like if i have a associate PO um, that is on the cusp of being able to qualify to be a product owner, a full PO. Um, why wouldn't I be giving them those opportunities? Why wouldn't I be putting new challenges in front of them to let them build that? So I would want to be involved, definitely help the teams develop in those roles. Uh, but you still have to be one advocating it for yourself, especially if in a competitive landscape. Um, yeah. Some places you have to push people. Other places, if you don't raise your hand, somebody else will. So. Yeah. And that's especially when there's a space above you to grow into those conversations when I've had them with managers and skip levels um, are very easy because typically people in those roles have more hard projects than they have people to do them yep. and saying, Hey, I'd like harder projects and I'd like to take on more responsibility is just music to their ears. They love, they love it. it. They love it. Yeah. So if that's you do it, yep. do it for sure. So what should we call it there for today? Yeah, I don't think so. Else? Any final thoughts? I guess I just go back to uh, it's fluctuate, I guess. I mean, even you and I are on different ends of the spectrum, like, and and they both serve their purposes. Um, I think maybe just thinking back over the conversation, determine what you need out of the one-on-one and and go with from there. If, if, if you need coaching, be very clear. You need coaching. If you need direction, be very clear. You need direction. If you need more career advice or situational soft skills, I guess if we were to rewind the podcast and start back over, I would say, um, you know, maybe you need to, we need to discuss how do you determine what you lead out of your one-on-ones? Because um, I think they can be all over the board. Um, and really it should be between you and your manager to determine what's most helpful for them to make sure they're aware of what you're doing and what you need and what's most helpful for you to continue to develop you. I'll add that to the list. <laughs> I think my awesome. the quote I'll take away is be your own advocate. And I it's not a new idea. It's something I'm very familiar with, but I've never heard it articulated quite that way. And it makes a lot of sense to me where, just like you're saying, you need to enter the one-on-one knowing what you want to get out of it and enter the managerial relationship knowing what you want to get out of it and what you need and what it can provide you. And you need to own that and dive in and make it happen. Yep. Yep. All with a grammatical modicum of tact and grace and patience. <laughs> well, well said. That's great. Oh. Stop. All right. All right, thanks, guys. Man. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Bye, everybody.